welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're coming back to the issue of the ivory trade in Africa and the illegal wildlife trade as well. It's really something that's been of uh, focus, particularly in the past few months, because the Chinese have been doing a lot to step up their crackdown, actually, and, and it's really highlighted some of the problems that are there. But we're going to actually go behind the politics and the official statements and take a look at what the Chinese community in Namibia is doing uh, as their role in the illegal black market ivory trade. And there's been some excellent reporting that's been done recently on this subject. And I think it's really interesting, Kobus, because we're going to hear a little bit about the Chinese kind of covering the Chinese, which is something that, as you and I both know, doesn't happen uh, as critically as I think a lot of us would like. Absolutely, there's one of the one of the big problems with with poaching and the fact that that especially the poaching of ivory um, and rhino horn is driven by Chinese demand. But we don't see a lot of very critical coverage of that in China, and frequently at not a very high level of awareness among ordinary Chinese people about even where ivory comes from or why smuggling is a problem. And the reason that that coverage oftentimes is so tame is because the vast majority of journalists who are from China in Africa uh, work for Communist Party-run media, either CCTV, the China Daily, uh, the People's Daily. And oftentimes that is, it's not necessarily a party line that's imposed upon them, but the levels of self-censorship are very, very high. And there's just not a culture of negative reporting or critical reporting of the Chinese community in Africa for their role in things like the illegal ivory trade. And that's why we're so thrilled to have uh, Shi Yi join us today on the program from Shanghai. Uh, first time on the program, Shi Yi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Should I say good afternoon? Good, good afternoon. Good evening. We're all over the world here tonight. Uh, let me introduce Shi <laughs> a little bit to give people some background on uh, on what's going on. Shi is a Chinese journalist with the Shanghai-based online news site, The Sixth Tone. But, you know, although that's a very interesting news site, that's actually not the reason why we've invited you on the program. Uh, more importantly, in May of 2016, uh, Shi won the prestigious uh, ChinaDialogue.net Environmental Journalism Press Award, and uh, it, she got that award for some reporting she did from Namibia on the secret trade in illegal wildlife. Now, she spent two months in Namibia as part of an environmental journalism fellowship with the Oxpeckers Investigative Environmental Journalism Program, and during that time, she wrote a series of really groundbreaking articles that among other things exposed the complicity of the Chinese community in Namibia's black market ivory trade. And what was interesting is that Shi wrote these articles both in English and I would say, you know, more importantly in Chinese to communicate to a Chinese audience about what's actually happening uh, on the ground from the Chinese community. And so take a listen to this. You know, the one of the articles is uh, Namibia's secret ivory business. And then here's the more important one. Who are Namibia's Chinese ivory smugglers? So let's start with that, Shi'i. Who are Namibia's Chinese ivory smugglers? I talked to some. I went to, uh, I went to the town in the, at the border between Zambia, I think. And what I found is I talked to some Chinese uh, people over there. They usually run some small business in that town, like... Uh, Shop uh, like they all have some 
uh, trade business in that town, and some of them, when I talk to them, I find they involved in uh, ivory smuggler or some other uh, poaching smuggler business. Uh, like, uh, for example, I I don't remember the details what exactly they do. Like there's some there's a hotel, it's a motel run by Chinese people that many local people suspect they involved in uh, in poaching in smug, uh, smuggling. So when I talk to these people, uh, I ask them about the ivory uh, the ivory trade. They all some uh, some of them they buy this. Uh, ivory for their own use. They mm-hmm. probably don't trade them, but some of them say they collect their stuff. And when there are some other Chinese people ask them, or they have some connections with Chinese uh, who live in China or Chinese who live in Africa, they will resell to them. Um, what was very one of your very interesting articles? Um, you went into to um, relatives of some of the smugglers that were arrested in in Namibia for smuggling rhino horn. You went and followed up with their families in China, and you found that some of them had no idea that their their family members were involved in smuggling in in Africa. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that and what you found. These people, because I went to, I think there are five people arrested, and actually the court is still going on. And I found their uh, hometown, most of them are from one uh, same area, um, one or two villages. And they told, before they left China, they told their family, like they, uh, they would go to Africa for some other than this normal business, and their family members just don't know what's really going on in Africa. And they usually, like, they their family don't have any, they, they couldn't figure out how to call these people, and usually they wait for their families to call them back to China. So before I went to their hometown, I really have no idea, like, they don't know these people already arrested. So I just tried to talk to them. I would try to figure out what brought them to Africa, but what happened after they were arrested. Because I think when I was in their hometown, they've been arrested for more than one year. And their family just think, oh, they're probably busy. They're probably living in a really remote uh, place. And some of the family, actually, that's because when I was there, it's very close to Chinese New Year that was in uh, February this year. And they were expecting they come back for Chinese New Year. So it is, I am very surprised when I talk to them. I don't want to. I think it's not good for me to tell this um, thing they, that they were arrested in Africa. Uh, it shouldn't be me to tell them this story. But I didn't know they didn't know. It's interesting. So when I talk to them. It's interesting because, uh, you know, when I was reading your report, on the one hand, you know, when you say Chinese ivory smugglers, I I, somehow before I started the report, I had this vision of kind of organized crime syndicates. You know, there's the ivory queen who's being tried um, in Tanzania right now, and there was kind of indications that she ran a big network of, you know, smuggling that went back over a decade. And in your reporting, 
in many ways echoed earlier reporting uh, from actually from another Oxpecker's journalism fellow, Huang Hongxiang, who also did similar investigations on the ivory trade by the Chinese community. And what he found was similar to what your report said, which was this is done by kind of rather poor, you know, workers and shop owners and people doing it for second jobs and a way to make a little extra cash. They're oftentimes illiterate or not very well educated. And it didn't have the sense of a big scale and organized crime. And, you know, it really seemed very ad hoc. And I think that's something that I'm trying to struggle with, which is how is so much of this ivory leaving Namibia and leaving Southern Africa on its way to this vast China market when it's in fact done by people who are not very sophisticated, is what it seems. Well, now, one of this, uh, some of these people uh, are hired by some people they know who already have business in Africa. So some of them were the first time to uh, go to Africa and they hired by someone who has some experience in Africa. And we actually have no evidence to say if they already know before they left China, they were going to Africa to do some illegal stuff, or they really just uh, um, got into this kind of dirty business when they landed in Africa. So that's something we have no evidence, we have no clue. Because what they told the family is um, they have friends who run some business in Africa, and they were going there for help them with their business. Um, when you spent time in, in Namibia itself, um, you you mentioned in some of your um, <clears throat> in some of your reporting, uh, there was a lot of people who just approached you and and just assumed that because because you're ethnically Chinese that you might be might be interested in buying ivory. Uh, how difficult was it to actually get ivory in the markets um, that you visited? It is quite it is quite easy. Let's really something surprised me a lot because um, I first uh, I went to South Africa first before I went to Namibia I visited a national park and I remember a ranger asked me why Chinese people need a rhino horn he asked me this question I told him I don't know because I have never seen rhino horn in my life before I come to Africa when I see a rhino a real rhino. When I, I have never seen people selling or buying ivory in China. It's all the first time for me in when I was in Africa, and he didn't believe me. And when I was in Namibia, um, it's actually a Chinese people told me there is a ivory market, uh, hide behind a craft market. I have never heard it from any Namibian before that. And when I told some of my Namibian friends, they were so surprised that there is a market over there just in front of their doors and they pass, they pass it every day and they don't know. So I decided that I, I could go, I could try to see if it's real. And when I was there, I remember a, a guy approached me and he asked, are you a Japanese or a Chinese? I said a Chinese, then he just showed an ivory to me. It is so easy that I couldn't believe that. 
so this is what I'm thinking. Like Chinese people will have will have a bad reputation in Africa. Seems like them, every Chinese are interested in buying this stuff. So they were so happy to see there's the Chinese people coming and they wanna do some business. Well, you say the Chinese have a bad reputation in Africa, but maybe that reputation is well-earned. Maybe it's because China today still continues to be the largest market for ivory in the world, the black market, even though it's illegal. Drugs are illegal. Prostitution's illegal. Pornography is illegal in China, but it still happens. So I guess, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm just curious, do you think that the reputation that you, that you, and the reception that you received is because it's not earned or because local traders of ivory have learned that when they see a Chinese person, they see potential to make money? I think things come because there is a reason for that reputation. There are many Chinese people involved in, in poaching, in smuggling. That's why Chinese people earn this bad reputation. But it's not like every Chinese want to buy that. Every Chinese is involved in illegal trading. So when I was in Namibia, uh, I met some other Asian people. They had some charity project in Namibia. And I just, I, I can't stop thinking why it's hard to find any Chinese people do charity project in Africa. And after that, I had another trip to um, Kenya, and actually there were some Chinese people. They, um, like Huang Hongxiang, uh, he opened up an NGO, helped Chinese companies to know local uh, culture, to know the laws in Kenya, to help them to build their uh, social responsibilities in the in the company and there are some Chinese people they actually uh, doing some other projects they help local community to uh, make a living to protect their wild animals that's why after that I wrote another Chinese article to see there are some Chinese people even though they are not majority compared to Chinese businessmen but it's, it's a start and even when I was in Namibia, I met two young guys. They went there. They went to uh, South Africa. They went to Namibia. They worked at some. Um, uh, they worked at some farms as volunteers to help local people. So I think that's a good start. But I mean, bad reputation definitely comes for some reason. And they It's true that there's many Chinese people. It's not a few. I told some Chinese officers after I did this report, I said, I want to talk to you because what I've found really surprised me. There's not just uh, a few Chinese people involved in that, but there's, there are many Chinese people. And and what reaction did you get from the officials? Uh, they They don't want to talk to me. No, they didn't say they want to talk to me. They said they were busy when I went when I approached them. They said they were busy. They couldn't talk to me. So after that, I wrote an email to them. I said um, I don't want. I at first, I mean, at the first, I wanted to have an interview with them. Then they said they were busy. Then I wrote an email. I said I just wanted to talk to you. Uh, 
not that's that's not an interview. I I wouldn't write down. I wouldn't write what I talked, but I need to tell you what I've discovered, what I've found in Namibia. When I was uh, when I was in that place, um, I talked to many Chinese. I can I can't say like most of them involved in illegal business, but somehow they know it. They know some of Chinese people involved in that, but they never report to local authorities. I think that's also a problem. You can't you can't not just you cannot just keep silent just because that that guy is also a Chinese. You know, Kobus, you know, listening to Shiyi and, and kind of the difficulty that she had in getting Chinese comments, you know, you, you we just saw it again. There was an article by The Economist that came out this week where a journalist went to go into Uganda to find a uh, one of these ghost towns. And she tried to interview Chinese officials, Chinese company leaders, and of course the doors are shut everywhere. And I think it's interesting that that's not just something that happens to Western journalists, but it also happens to Chinese journalists. And in some ways, I think that the Chinese have only themselves to blame for their bad reputation in Africa, in part because of the experiences that she had that if the embassies don't talk, if officials don't talk, if companies don't talk, well, guess what? Then you don't get to shape your reputation. You don't get to participate in the debate and the discussion. So whether or not China is complicit or the Chinese are the main driving force of the ivory trade, we will never really know, to be honest with you. But at the end of the day, the Chinese are going to get the blame for it because, well, they don't challenge the narratives that are out there. And and I just think it just it annoys the you know the heck out of me that you know we cannot get an honest discussion and debate about this. So I guess this that's my little soapbox. Sorry for ranting there. Um, you know I guess I'm curious about the reaction that you got in China because what you did is you 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 actually wrote an article that was you know clearly critical of the Chinese community's behavior in Namibia for participating in the ivory trade. And, you know, if I had written that article and published it in Chinese in China, um, I think I would have been flamed on social media. I would have been, uh, you know, attacked for being a foreigner who's criticizing China. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't have any right to criticize China uh, or Chinese people for that matter. And I know this because I've published in Chinese quite a bit on Chinese social media. And that's the response that I get. And I think a lot of foreigners get that response. I'm curious about the response that you got to your reporting uh, because I think a lot of Chinese people are not used to seeing or reading critical news reporting uh, in places like Africa of the Chinese community. What was the response that you got to your reports? I can't, I can't agree with part of what you said, because I think back to China, I cannot say like people involved in illegal trading in Africa is a majority. I, I don't know because I don't have that number, but back to China, you know, China has has more than one billion population and there are so many people, especially young people today, they are so dedicated to protect our environment, to improve um, all these situations in China. When I published this article in Chinese, I saw some comments from readers. They also say, oh, we hate these people. They can't do this in, in Africa. And there's one guy uh, I later talked to. He, uh, he had some uh, conservational project in Kenya. That's because, uh, he was an uh, officer before that, actually. Then he 
uh, after his first trip to Africa, he quit his job, and he raised some money in China. He 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 built his own angel in Kenya. He tried to do the he tried to get involved in con con uh, conservation. I think so. I mean, back in China, there were many, many people, at least a lot of people around me, my friends, my family, and all the NGOs I work with, we love nature, we love animals. I remember when I talked to an elephant expert in Africa, he told me the first time he went, he's been in China was back to 2006, I think, and he went to Yunnan. Uh, there's uh, some part of Yunnan where you have uh, a few Asian elephants. So, I mean, before he come before he come to China, he also think, oh, Chinese people only interested in ivory, and it could be hard to find anyone who really want to protect wild animals. And he told me he was surprised to see there were some Chinese people. They just love elephants, like like he does. Kobus, I think that, I, you know, I agree with everything that, that Shuhi said here. That, And again, this is really a challenge to the Western narrative of, you know, the, 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 the Chinese are the kind of, you know, aggressors, the Africans are the victims. And as you pointed out many times, this issue in particular is so complicated that those lines don't work. But if we're counting on African law enforcement to really be the savior here, particularly in countries like Kenya, which report after report after report shows that the corruption inside the Kenyan Wildlife Service is fueling the ivory trade in so many destructive ways. In your own country, Kobus, I think there's some, some judge who keeps you know, ruling that the, the, the rhino horn trade should be legalized. Yeah, yeah, they, they actually, and that is apparently what they're going to be pushing Which at the next side. Which is just lunacy here. here, and so, so again, to put the, the all of the responsibility on the on the feet of the Chinese is is completely inappropriate and inaccurate. Um, that said, you know, there's still a demand for this product in China. So, you know, I I still come away from this issue very, very sad because I just don't think the level of coordination that Shi is recommending is actually going to be possible. In part because. China's non-interference doctrine, which allows a lot of distance between the Chinese government and uh, and an African government. You know, the West, you know, the Americans would have no problem getting into a country and saying, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do that, if you want our money. The Chinese won't do that, and they certainly won't do it over animals. So, you know, we're left at the end of the day, Kobus, just with this kind of despair that, you know, Africa's rhinos and elephants uh, may not be long for this planet. Yeah, I mean, I... I share your despair, not to, you know, kind of end this episode on a downer, but that yeah. is kind of where we are is, at right? the moment. It is what it yes. is. Yes. Shi is a Chinese journalist based in Shanghai, and she is notable in part because of her excellent reporting that she did in Namibia on the Chinese ivory smugglers there. And for that work that she did, she won the prestigious Journalist of the Year Award 2016 uh, at the China Environmental Press Awards. We will have links to all of her stories uh, in English uh, and in Chinese, hopefully, as well on our Weixing, our, our WeChat site. And, uh, you know, Shi, thank you so much for joining us. It was really a pleasure. Congratulations on the award. And if people want to follow you, thank either you. in English and Chinese, are you on WeChat or on some other social media platforms that they can follow? Uh, no. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. It was worth asking I, anyway. I, I like to keep my work and my personal life 
apart. <laughs> that is honorable. Oh, Tobis, you I and know. I have something to learn from Shui and, uh, and, and, and frankly, a representative of the younger generation saying they, they're kind of, uh, you know, detached from social media is not something that I'm used to hearing very often. In any event, we will put links to all of her work uh, from Namibia up on our sites again and up on our social media platforms. Uh, we'll be back again very soon, next week, in fact, with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then you should definitely head over to the China Africa Project's website at www.chinaafricaproject.com. Sign up for a weekly email newsletter full of the week's top China Africa headlines and context. And for up-to-the-minute developments, come to facebook.com slash chinaafricaproject, where stories are updated every four hours. The China Africa Project sends a big thanks to publishing partners at The Huffington Post, the Asia Society's China File website, Pulse Ghana, Pulse Nigeria, and Yes Africa. 